Book Two, Chapter Seventeen of Resurrection. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Griffiths. Resurrection by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Louise Maud. Book Two, Chapter Seventeen. Countess Katerina Ivanovna's Dinner Party Countess Katerina Ivanovna's dinner hour was half-past seven, and the dinner was served in a new manner that Nekhludoff had not yet seen anywhere. After they had placed the dishes on the table, the waiters left the room and the diners helped themselves. The men would not let the ladies take the trouble of moving, and, as befitted the stronger sex, they manfully took upon themselves the burden of putting the food on the ladies' plates and of filling their glasses. When one course was finished, the countess pressed the button of an electric bell fitted to the table, and the waiters stepped in noiselessly and quickly carried away the dishes, changed the plates, and brought in the next course. The dinner was very refined, the wines very costly. A French chef was working in the large, light kitchens, with two white-clad assistants. There were six persons at dinner, the Count and Countess, their son, a surly officer in the guards who sat with his elbows on the table, Nekhludoff, a French lady-reader, and the Count's chief steward, who had come up from the country. Here, too, the conversation was about the duel, and opinions were given as to how the Emperor regarded the case. It was known that the Emperor was very much grieved for the mother's sake, and all were grieved for her, and as it was also known that the Emperor did not mean to be very severe to the murderer, who defended the honour of his uniform, all were also lenient to the officer who had defended the honour of his uniform. Only the Countess Katerina Ivanovna, with her free thoughtlessness, expressed her disapproval. They get drunk and kill unobjectionable young men. I should not forgive them on any account, she said. Now, that's a thing I cannot understand, said the Count. I know that you can never understand what I say, the Countess began, and turning to Nekhludoff, she added, Everybody understands except my husband. I say I am sorry for the mother, and I do not wish him to be contented, having killed a man. Then her son, who had been silent up to then, took the murderer's part, and rudely attacked his mother, arguing that an officer could not behave in any other way, because his fellow officers would condemn him and turn him out of the regiment. Nekhludoff listened to the conversation without joining in. Having been an officer himself, he understood, though he did not agree with young Charsky's arguments, and at the same time he could not help contrasting the fate of the officer with that of a beautiful young convict whom he had seen in the prison, and who was condemned to the mines for having killed another in a fight. Both had turned murderers through drunkenness. The peasant had killed a man in a moment of irritation, and he was parted from his wife and family, had chains on his legs and his head shaved, and was going to hard labour in Siberia, while the officer was sitting in a fine room in the guardhouse, eating a good dinner, drinking good wine and reading books, and would be set free in a day or two to live as he had done before. 
having only become more interesting by the affair. Nekhludoff said what he had been thinking, and at first his aunt, Katerina Ivanovna, seemed to agree with him. But at last she became silent as the rest had done, and Nekhludoff felt that he had committed something akin to an impropriety. In the evening, soon after dinner, the large hall, with high-backed carved chairs arranged in rows as for a meeting, and an armchair next to a little table with a bottle of water for the speaker, began to fill with people come to hear the foreigner Kaiswetter preach. Elegant equipages stopped at the front entrance. In the hall sat richly dressed ladies in silks and velvets and lace, with false hair and false busts and drawn-in waists, and among them men in uniform and evening dress, and about five persons of the common class, i.e. two men-servants, a shopkeeper, a footman, and a coachman. Kaiservetter, a thick-set, grisly man, spoke English, and a thin young girl with pince-nez translated it into Russian promptly and well. He was saying that our sins were so great, the punishment for them so great and so unavoidable, that it was impossible to live anticipating such punishment. Beloved brothers and sisters, let us for a moment consider what we are doing, how we are living, how we have offended against the all-loving Lord, and how we make Christ suffer. And we cannot but understand that there is no forgiveness possible for us, no escape possible, that we are all doomed to perish. A terrible fate awaits us, everlasting torment, he said, with tears in his trembling voice. Oh, how can we be saved, brothers? How can we be saved from this terrible, unquenchable fire? The house is in flames. There is no escape. He was silent for a while, and real tears flowed down his cheeks. It was for about eight years that each time, when he got to this part of his speech, which he himself liked so well, he felt a choking in his throat and an irritation in his nose, and the tears came in his eyes, and these tears touched him still more. Sobs were heard in the room. The Countess Katerina Ivanovna sat with her elbows on an inlaid table, leaning her head on her hands, and her shoulders were shaking. The coachman looked with fear and surprise at the foreigner, feeling as if he was about to run him down with the pole of his carriage, and the foreigner would not move out of his way. All sat in positions similar to that Katerina Ivanovna had assumed. Wolf's daughter, a thin, fashionably dressed girl, very like her father, knelt with her face in her hands. The orator suddenly uncovered his face and smiled, a very real-looking smile, such as actors express joy with, and began again with a sweet, gentle voice. Yet there is a way to be saved. Here it is, a joyful, easy way. The salvation is the blood shed for us by the only Son of God, who gave himself up to torments for our sake. His sufferings, his blood will save us, brothers and sisters, he said again with tears in his voice. Let us praise the Lord, who has given his only begotten Son for the redemption of mankind, his holy blood. Nekhludoff felt so deeply disgusted that he rose silently, and frowning and keeping back a groan of shame, he left on tiptoe and went to his room. End of Book 2, Chapter 17